Hi, welcome to the Contend for Your Faith Bible Study. Join us tonight as we look at the provisions of God in the midst of destruction of the entire world. Hi, welcome back. I'm Nathan Pearl. With me tonight I have Bob Slayman. And on uh, Skype, we have uh, Greg Roseboom, and uh, behind the cameras back there, we have Jarrett. Tonight, we're going to go through uh, Genesis the, chapter 6, 7, and 8. We're going to pick up uh, the rest of the story of Noah, if we can. This is going to be our last night in the book of Genesis. We're going to jump forward into the book of John after tonight. So uh, bear with us. We're going to go kind of fast. Now, before we get started tonight, we have some news from around the world, some things that have been taking place with uh, Christians that Greg has been keeping up with. And I want to turn that over to Greg and give him, give him a chance to talk to us just a minute about uh, what he's seen and what's happening. Go ahead, Greg. Hey, <clears throat> I uh, was noticing in the news this week, it was, it was on uh, Good Morning America on Tuesday, and also um, it was in the... USA Today paper, CNN, and that's a, a book came out. Uh, it was published by, um, by uh, I think, Harvest One instead of Zondervan. Zondervan actually wouldn't carry the book, although they've carried Rob Bell's previous books. They um, decided not to carry this latest one, which is called Love Wins. And uh, there's been quite a firestorm in the Christian world that has resulted from him writing this book and um, pretty much what one of the things he says in the book one of the main themes is that love is always God's love is always open for all of eternity and so hell will never close and heaven's doorstep will always remain open in other words uh, if in 10,000 years from now you decide that you're tired of hell and you want to receive God's grace, then you're free to do so. And um, according to him, he uh, he he is uh, he's preaching a God of love and a God of eternal forgiveness and real forgiveness. But many in the Christian world are are upset and concerned that he's gone too far. And um, I actually put took part in a in a prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. not too long ago, uh, a few weeks ago. Um, the president was there and, and others uh, from Congress and the Senate were there. And there was quite a bit of talk of, of this Jesus that's not confined to Christianity. Um, so in other words, you could be a Muslim and follow Jesus, or you can follow Jesus and, and be a Jew or anyone. And I sat down at a table with a, a pastor who's the pastor of a, a large mega church, and he asked me what my favorite part of the prayer breakfast had been, and I told him that my favorite part was listening to a man who said that Jesus was the only way. And when I told him the story of this man who said that Jesus was the only way, and I, and I spoke those words, Jesus is the only way, he right away looked at me shocked and he looked around to see if anyone heard me and then he said don't say that you might offend someone and uh that upset me 
it upset me to be sitting there with a pastor of a large mega church. He's got his own radio program that he that he that broadcasts out, and 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 many people know who he is. And he rebuked me for saying Jesus is the only way, so I wouldn't offend anyone. And that's a it's a very popular approach to Christianity nowadays to try to take away the offense of the gospel to take try to take away the the justice and the holy holy demands that God has upon us but when you take those holy demands away and when you take God's requirement for for a life of perfection and holiness you all of a sudden you lose the whole reason for Jesus to come and die on the cross so that's just some of the news that's been been out there this week, and uh, I want to encourage you to be aware of the news, to take time to study it out. So as you talk to other Christians who are confused on these issues, you, you're ready with an answer. Could you take just a minute and explain to us uh, a little bit more about the emergent church? What's the uh, foundation of what they're teaching? I think it's very salient to those of us who are interested in contending for our faith because uh, this is what's happening now. This is how we are contending daily, who we run into. Yeah. And it's something that I've run into before, uh, and I, I think a lot of people will. So just take a second and tell us about it. Well, uh, Paul Young, he wrote the book The Shack, and <clears throat> that was one of the most popular books. I think it was on New York Times bestseller. It was one of the most popular books in the Christian bookstores. Walmart was selling them like crazy. And Paul Young was one of the speakers at this prayer breakfast that I went to. He was actually the keynote speaker for the evening uh, of the prayer breakfast. And he got to the message of the cross in his in his 45-minute uh, message that he gave us. And when he talked of Jesus dying on the cross, he said, the reason Jesus died on the cross was this. It was to relate to the pain that people feel. And so Jesus, he relates to your pain. And when Jesus cried out, when he looked up to the Father and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The reason Jesus did that was to relate with the cry of the human race. Because all of us are crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus went to the cross and he separated, he was separated from his father so that he could feel the pain of separation from God. And now you can come to him and he knows your pain. He knows what it feels like to be separated from God. And so come to him who feels your pain. And there was nothing about sin in the same message he, he, he spoke uh, he spoke negatively of, of, of Christians who, who condemn those who are involved in sodomy, or um, he, specifically, he, he specifically mentioned the, the gay cry and, um, and uh, those who are, are crying in their closet because they're forced into the closet by us mean Christians who, who say that they're sinning. And, um, and his message, along with the message of, of, of Rob Bell, and Brian McLaren and many others who, who have come out and they've, they've tried to take away the offense of God, the offense of the gospel. They've tried to take away the fact that we are sinners. 
that we have sinned against an angry God, that we deserve hell for eternity. Every one of us do. They've taken the wrath of God and then they've shoved it aside and they've tried to make the gospel only of grace. And um, they've tried to emerge from scripture because you can't really hold those doctrines and hold tightly to scripture. And so when they say emergent church, what they mean by emergent is it's the church that's finally getting away from the words of Scripture, and we're now getting to the point where we, where we accept the, the general thoughts of Scripture, and we recognize that the general thought of Scripture is God's love. And so we've emerged from, from this bickering back and forth between denominations, and now we've d- emerged away from denominationalism, and we've just said, let's all agree with each other. And those who bicker and fight over the words of Scripture, they're, they're, they're old. They're, they're people who are just focused on the words. And we are emerging from that into a new, a new phase of Christianity where we recognize that we're all one body. Gay brothers and people who, who are Muslims, but, they, but, they, but they, follow, they follow God even though they're Muslims. And people who are Hindus and, and anyone is welcome into this family where we all love God together. And um, that's really where, where the emergent church is, is going. That's, uh, <clears throat> that's scary. That's uh, sobering that that's so popular that so many people today embrace that as though it were Christianity. And the, uh, a- as a Christian, it should be appalling to us that people do this and that they get away with it, that they make money, that they make millions of dollars, and that when you go up to somebody and you say, I'm a Christian, they say, oh, yeah, I am too, that that's what they're talking about. Um, and I, and I want to say, I, I love the, the guys at my work. As, as a, a human being, I love the guys at my work, and, and I don't know if some of them are, are sodomites or not. I, I, I don't know. I think one of the ones that I did employ, he, he was. And I look at him as a human being who needs the love of God. And I speak to him with, with all the kindness and love that I can show <laughs> a, a fellow human being. And so by, when, I, when I speak of these things, I'm not saying that, that I'm, a, I'm a person who hates people <laughs> that sin. Um, I desire for them to know Jesus Christ and to be saved out of their sin and come to Jesus and to be saved from their sodomy and walk in newness of life and purity and holiness. That's the very definition of love. If we uh, say we love somebody and we see them about to take a drink from a cup that we know carries a, a deadly disease and we go, but we love you and don't want to offend you, so you go ahead and enjoy that glass of, of deadly disease. Uh, that's not love. That's taking an easy route to excuse it. And if we know that the Word of God is true, and if God says, uh, if the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar, um, then we can't ignore the words of God and say, no, no, but that's not nice. What he said is not nice, so we're going to go some uh, some other interpretation so that uh, we can show love. That's not love at all. Um, I'm going to read something in Hebrews that I thought of while Greg was uh, talking about this, this, the teaching of the emergent church that Christ died 
for uh, a so that he could relate to us better. Uh, I want to read it in Hebrews chapter ten in verse uh, twenty nine. It says, "Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy of who hath trodden under foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite to the grace of to the Spirit of grace." For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That is a uh, poignant passage in the face of the emergent church, in the face of people saying things like, uh, Jesus died in order to understand how we feel. Um, he died in order to establish a new covenant. If you trod that underfoot, you will fall into the hands of a living God, and that is a fearful, fearful thing to have happen. Um, all right, Greg, I appreciate that. The uh, It's important to us to keep up with these things and, and to remember the reason that we need to be on our toes and, and prepared to contend for our faith. Now, I think we have a few housekeeping notes that we need to cover before we dig into Genesis here. Yeah, you have that ready, Jarrett? Um, I'm up. Uh, I've been getting a lot of good feedback from people who want to help us in the on the Contend for Your Faith website. Keep emailing me at info at contendforyourfaith.com. And some of those who have emailed, I'll be meeting with you guys after the uh, Bible study today. But I appreciate that, and keep emailing us. And for all those other people who enjoy watching us, email us. Let us know what you're thinking. Um, we're not... Uh, um, uh, you know, um, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, give us your feedback. We'll take this Bible study in any direction that you think would be as wise for it as well. So uh, email us, email Greg, email Nathan, and uh, let us know what you think, because we want to make this better for you guys. So thanks. And uh, to raise money, we have that logo on his T-shirt. So <laughs> next week, if, uh, yeah. if you want your logo, send us a shirt in 75 cents, <laughs> and Jarrett will, will put your logo on there. Um, all right, let's go into uh, Genesis. We left off last week in verse 14, talking about the pitch within and without, and how it relates somewhat to the fact that we are covered by the blood, both within and without. Um, and we, I want to pick up right here in verse 15. It says, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 15, And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and the breadth of it, 50 cubits, and the height of it, 30 cubits. And a window shalt thou make to the ark. And in a cubit thou shalt finish it above the door of the ark. Shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. Now, one thing I, I that came, jumped out to me right here was Noah's building this ark, and God says, make it this big, make it this tall, make it this wide, make it uh, with the pitch within and out, use this kind of wood. This is the way I want it built, very specific, and I want a window this big put in right here. And Noah's like, uh, what, what, what am I going to do with a window? I mean, it's going to be flooding outside, right? It's going to be raining in if I open a window, and besides that, uh, we're going to have birds and things in here flying around. Well, why do I want a window in the side of this big boat? How, how is it going to assist me at all to have a window in the boat? I, I, I can't, I mean, what am I, oh, look at the beautiful thunderstorms and the lightning crashing. What, 
It's, there's no glass in it. It's a big door. It's a lot of extra work to put all this framing around to prepare for this window. But uh, you want a window in the ark. So why, why do we need to do that? Well, Noah followed the letter of God's law. He followed the words of God. And he said, okay, you want a window? I'll put the window there. I have no idea why. Uh, and why one window and not six or seven? I don't understand, but I'm going to put the window in. And so Noah obeys God and builds a window into his boat. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's, there's there's no reason it looks like at this time to put a window in. Now, most of you know why the window gets put in, and we see it later, but I'd like to look at the provision that God makes for us. When God says, I want you to do this, I want you to obey this law, to do this thing, and you think, man, that doesn't, that doesn't seem like a good idea to me. That doesn't seem like the right thing to do at this time to me. Obey God. Obey what His words say. Obey His Spirit as He leads you. And you'll find out that God's made a provision where it needs to be. Later on, Melchizedek comes, and Abraham offers tithes to Melchizedek. And, and Moses wrote about this, about Abraham, or, or, or the... Uh, the the uh, um, that's right. Abraham offered offering the the tithes to Melchizedek. Moses writes about this, and in detail as the Spirit of God leads him, and he doesn't know why. Why is all this detail in? You're stuck here in the middle of Genesis. When I mean, what what is the point of that? Well, it didn't make any sense for the next three thousand years, and then we get up to where Christ comes back. And, and they say, no, you don't have the right. And he says, no, I'm a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's not part of the Levites. It precedes the Levites. And there's a reason for that provision that God made for Abraham to offer tithes to this high priest that wasn't of the tribe of Levi. It was preceded the tribe of Levi. Because then when Christ came, he says, I'm a priest after that order, not after the Levitic, Le, Levitical order. So uh, we see then the provision that God made in his word. So when God says something, trust him. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the reason that it's done that way. Go ahead, Bob. It reminds Bob. me of a, a New Testament story as well. When uh, Paul told Act, I mean, uh, the Lord told Act, the Lord told Paul in the book of Acts chapter 9, I think it's in 9, he says, Lord, what will, what will they have him to do? He says, go. He says, go where? And the Lord said, go to this city. And there, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. The Lord could have said, go to the city, and I want you to meet this person and do these things at church, whatever. But God wanted him to take that step first and then told him, sort of like the window in the ark. And uh, in a more personal note, it's happened to me. Yeah. I've had God say, I want you to go here. And I go, well, uh, why? Uh, okay, I'm going to go there so that I can uh, make X amount of dollars so I can go over here. And I think that's what I'm going to do when I get there. And you know what? That doesn't happen at all. I'm not making any money out of Oh, why am I here? Can I leave? No. God says, no, you can't leave. Okay, all right. I'm going to stick it out. And then God says, okay, here's the door. It's open now. And you walk through and you go, man, I could never have set that up. I could never have planned this out. But God planned it out for me. And I got to be somewhere that was so important, so vital for me to be there at that time. That, uh, But I didn't see it. But I, I just wanted to follow the will of God because... He loves me, and I, I knew that was his direction. And so, trust God. Follow his will. Now, that's not to say that we're not infallible, but follow the will of God. Um, okay. 
verse 17. And behold, this is God still talking. He says, make an ark, make a window, make it three stories. And he says, and behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life. From under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Now, last week we talked about a covenant. What is a covenant? We looked at, we read some scripture on it, but to recap, I'm going to ask Greg, who I haven't warned, I'm going to ask Greg to go ahead and explain covenant to us, if you would, Greg. Uh, the covenant that we discussed last week, we went to Genesis chapter 17. And uh, we looked at the covenant that God made with Abraham there. And then we also went to Hebrews 12 and 13 and, and uh, compared the covenants. Um, we don't have to go through all the scripture again. Just overview. What is a covenant? How does it differ from a contract? Uh, what is he talking about? He's going to make a covenant with Noah. All right, Greg, Greg muted me because he got tired. Um, he didn't like me springing it on him. The, uh, no, technical issues. But anyway, a covenant is different from a contract in that a covenant can be one-sided. In other words, if I go to Bob and I go, Hey, Bob, I want you to build a fence around my property to protect this ugly little dog. And Bob goes, Okay, I'll build that fence for uh, $17. You've already decided that now, Bob. For $17, I'm going to build this fence. So we write a contract, and Bob says, I'm going to build a fence. It's going to be 25 feet by 35 feet by 25 by 35. I'm going to use this amount of post. This is what we're going to do, and, I, and, and it's going to cost $17. We both sign it. That's a contract. Now, if Bob builds a fence that's 25, builds it just like it says on the contract, then according to that contract, I'm liable to pay Bob. If Bob doesn't build the fence, I'm not liable to pay Bob. So the contract is mutually binding between us. But let's say we build, we, we, we sign this contract and a week goes by. And Bob drops a, uh, a big 4x4 four four on his foot and he breaks his foot. And he comes by and he goes, Nathan, I broke my foot. I, I'd love to build your fence. I'd love to fulfill the contract, but my foot's broken and I can't dig post holes. So uh, what do you think? And I go, you know what? Let's absolve this contract between us. We're just going to absolve the contract. And I'll get somebody else to build the fence. And Bob goes, I'd appreciate that. You know, let me out of that because I said I'd have it done by such. Okay, so we absolve the contract. Well, a covenant's like that, not like that. A covenant's where Bob comes to me and he goes, Nathan, you need a fence. I'm going to build you one. And he writes it on a piece of paper. I'm going to build you this fence. And he signs it and he hands it to me. A week goes by and he breaks his foot. And I come back and go, Bob, you broke your foot. Uh, let's do away with that. Nope. We're not doing away with it because I signed the covenant. It's my covenant. It's not your covenant. It's my covenant. It's not ours. It's not mutual. It's a covenant. And, 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 and this particular covenant, Bob could break. It wouldn't be lawful, but he could break it. But if God signs a covenant, it's unbreakable. Now, there's more covenants. There can be a covenant that has different parts to it that says, I'm going to do such and such if you do this and that. 
and I'm going to do this no matter what. So there can be a covenant that is uh, conditional, such as a marital covenant. Now, uh, th that's shaky to call it conditional, but you say, for better or for worse, until death do us part. But in most marriage covenants, if somebody were to step out of their marriage, then the other person is free from the covenant because that's happened. Or if the other person dies, you're free from the covenant. So it's a conditional covenant in that it is officious until death do us part. What so, if Noah wouldn't have gotten the ark? God said he would establish a covenant and did so after they got off the ark. Okay. A conditional or non-conditional? I don't know what I'm asking. He established a non-conditional covenant with, a, with Noah. And he had a sign for his covenant. He put a signature on it. At the end of the thing, Noah gets off the boat and God says, Noah, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I will never again destroy the world with water. And as a sign of that covenant, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. So you're saying verse 18 is the same covenant in chapter uh, 9? Um, I believe so. Okay. Do you, is there another, another covenant in the chapter? Uh, I, was to, I thought it was two different covenants. Because there's no promise here that he would never flood the earth again. But he hasn't made a covenant at this point. He says, I will establish my covenant. Could be. Um, it could be that God made a covenant with Noah that said, if you build the ark and you get on it, I will. But I, there's no record of that that, I, yeah. that I'm aware of. So the only covenant that I see is in, uh, I think That's it's the way I understood nine. it, just, just the fact that Noah, if you build the ark, like I say, like, like I told you, and you get on the boat, then I'm going to save you. It's going to float um, well, for such amount of time. And then later on, he established a covenant that he's not going to destroy the earth again with water. God had it's decided to though. destroy the earth already. If Noah hadn't done what he was told, would God have still destroyed the earth? Yeah, with Noah, with Noah on but it. But God would then God have been forsworn in creating and giving the world to mankind, and then wiping all of mankind off. True, because he says only Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So, so there was an option. There was nobody B. else. There was no option B. So I guess. what? It, so did God know what Noah would do? Yeah, he did. He had foreknowledge of what Noah would do. Did that foreknowledge impede Noah's faith in action? And Noah was elected. And he was elected, <laughs> that's right. Did it impede his faith in action? Greg, what do you think? Uh, did what impede his faith in action? Um, did that God foreknew that Noah would build the ark. God already knew, and, Mo and Noah was elected to do this. And God came down and said, do this because I'm going to destroy the world. If Noah had decided not to, would it have changed the opinion or the actions of God? No, I think God would have, I think he would have just wiped us all out and started all over with someone else. Would he not have been forsworn because he said uh, that I would give this planet to you and your descendants and, and that he was going to give it to mankind? Are you talking about the the fact that he made a covenant in verse eighteen? But I will, but with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Um. Yeah, I think if I, I think if he did not obey God in that place, then I don't. I don't think uh, God would have. I think he would have destroyed the earth. <laughs> with 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 uh, him in it, 
But God knew what Noah would do. We see it through the story. Go ahead, Bob. Okay. Interjection here. <clears throat> this covenant in verse 18 of chapter 6, he says, I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark. Okay, it seems like this ark is with, this covenant is with Noah. Mm-hmm. Right? This, this covenant is with Noah. Over here in chapter 9, in verse uh, 13, let's read, this is after the flood, and God put a, it says, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I shall bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in a cloud. So it wasn't between, this covenant wasn't Noah's covenant, it was between God and the earth, meaning the people. So Which I would think be it's, Noah. And everybody else. And everybody else. But the covenant would be with Noah as the, as the perpetrator of the people to come. I don't know, but we, we don't have time to yeah. dig into that. Okay. That's, we'll save that Could, for tomorrow or work. Okay. Um, okay, so there's a covenant established. Now, verse 19. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring unto the ark, and keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. Of the fowls after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, Two of every short sort shall come unto thee uh, to keep them alive. And thou shalt take unto thee of all the food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Now, um, there's a couple interesting things in here. One of them is uh, that you mentioned before, the earth. It keeps talking about the earth. And it uses the earth as not just a, a planet or a globe, but as uh, all of the things, uh, people definitely included, all the right. animals, all the things that are around that uh, earth. Um, and he says to take all of that food that is eaten. Um, it, that seems like an awful lot of food. What food was it, Bob? What, I mean, can you lay that out for us a little bit? Well, and right there in, uh, in verse 21, you're talking about? Yeah, okay. verse 21. Well, God wanted Noah to take enough food for him and his family and for all the animals. Mm-hmm. And the only thought I have on that is that he must have really been uh, cursing Adam. <laughs> He's out there gathering all his food. He's like, oh, man, those dang blackberries, those thistles, got me again. Out there grabbing a bunch of more food. Those briars, man, I tell you what, you know. He's like, I could just imagine what it would be like, you know, before the curse of the earth. Now, if we took all of the animals that are alive today, and a lot of animals we know have gone extinct, but if we took all the animals that are alive today and enough food for all the animals that are alive today, um, because an elephant eats something like 200 pounds of lettuce a day, and they were on the boat for a year, basically. So we take all of the food that these, all these animals would eat, all of the animals, how does that all fit on the boat? I think that the Lord made the animals to take a long, extended siesta. That's interesting. Keep them quiet. Keep them quiet. He sedated them. What do you think, Greg? I think he probably brought uh, a lot of, of uh, cubs and little, uh, little young animals on the boat. 
I think it started off with, I think it started off with almost all young, brand new baby animals. So their appetite was not near as great as the large animals. And there was also a lot more room to start off with. When there was, when there was more food on the boat, there was more room. And then as the animals grow, that as the animals grew, there was, there was uh, less room for the, for the uh, food. I mean, there was less food, so there was more room for the bigger animals. So basically it has to do with how many animals per cubic foot, how much food it takes per cubic foot, how big the ark was, extended about how many uh, days are on the ark. Yep. Well, another way to, you can get around that is that right there in verse, uh, si uh, chapter 6, in verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days. So a cubit has always been measured from, from here to, to your tips of your fingers, approximately 18 inches. But if you're a giant... But Noah was not. Yeah. He says, Lord, Lord said, Noah, I mean, Noah's like, well, I don't know if you fit all these animals in this ark. He says, well, make a cubit. Just really, you know those cubits, those giants over there. He's one of those cubits. A cubit is not, it can be 18 inches or it can be like 24 inches. It's not specific to Noah's forearm. So then that would make the ark, instead of like 300 feet, it'd make it like 450 feet long. <laughs> make it like 30% bigger. Um, I think the answer is both more incredible and more benign. Um, the, uh, I heard a story once that there was a, a, a very modern evangelist teaching about, uh, about uh, Moses going through the Red Sea. And he said, you know, traditionalists believe that God parted the Red Sea and that the Jews just went through it. He said, but more modern science, we understand that that uh, the, uh, the Red Sea is, uh, th that's an impossible feat because of the gallons of water and the, the cubic feet that would have to be measured and what would happen on the shores on the other side. So what actually happened is the uh, children of Israel went through a sea of reeds and a wind came and it parted the reeds and they walked through the middle of the reeds. And the little girl busts out and goes, that's amazing. God is incredible. And they go, he goes, no, no, you don't understand. It was just reeds. And she goes, yeah, nobody drowned the whole Egyptian army in reeds. Yeah. <laughs> let, us, let, let that be our attitude with the Word of God. If, if you don't know it, if you go, well, how is that fit? Um, you know that God made bread fall out of heaven and land on the ground and made it rot in 24 hours, except for one day a week, and it stayed alive for 48 hours. Do you think he would have a problem feeding elephants? God took five small pieces of bread and two fish, and he fed 5,000 people. And when he got left, he had 12 bushels of food left over. You think he would have a problem feeding elephants, making them fit? No. Uh, now, there's some things that when God says, when he blesses them, he says, have abundant, bring forth abundantly. Well, it could be that there was one cat. There was one feline, there was one bovine, there was one porcine, there's one canine. There's, uh, there's one of each type of animal. And God brings forth because he likes different things. God brought forth the blacks from Africa, the, the Asian people, the white people, the blonde-headed, the red-headed, the, the curly hair, the straight hair, because he likes uh, difference. I mean, if we all look exactly the same... That's no fun. Boring. Very boring. So God brings forth 
abundantly with each type of thing. Now, is that evolution? Absolutely not. You start with a creature and you end with the same creature that's a different color. There's no difference as far as the person of me or uh, somebody from North Korea. We're both human beings. Uh, the same thing between a, a fox and uh, a, a Doberman pincer. They're both canines. They're both... Uh, now, they might not necessarily crossbreed, but uh, it could be that when God proliferated the animals on the earth, he allowed them to... Uh, breed specific types of animals in different places. Like we see uh, one type of elk, um, and it would have maybe been turned moose or, or deer or who knows. What we do know is that the ark was that big, as big as he said, and that all of the animals fit in there and all the food for all the animals. That's what we know. That's a fact. I heard one guy say, well, he, Noah and his the family did a lot of fishing to feed the, uh, to feed the, the uh, all the, the uh, carnivores, you know, catch a fish, throw it overboard, let the fish, let the uh, carnivores eat it. But I said the only problem with that is, is that Noah only had two worms. <laughs> plus, plus the boat was sealed. Now uh, there was a window. That's true, but I, don't, I think it was open when it says it was. But also, as far as what the animals ate, um, the bears, two bears came together and walked up next to two sheep and they didn't eat them, or next to seven sheep. They didn't eat them. God had uh, much control over the animals. As far as we know, they sat in the bottom of the boat and played chess with Noah. The, uh, because a donkey can talk if God tells a donkey to talk. And so uh, maybe they had, had good conversation. Um, serpents were talking. And serpents were talking. Chapter three, right. so. Okay. Enough of that. Let's go on. Verse 22. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Um, let's just pause there for a second and consider that. Can you do all that God commands you? You should. You should. You should do all that God commands you. It's your responsibility to. Now, we generally start as, well, I'm just a human and we're not going to... No, don't start there. Do all that God commands you. Noah did. Noah did all that God commanded him to. It's, it's not only possible and feasible, it is expected. Chapter 7 in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house unto the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Um, I, I've got to run off on a tangent here for just a minute. Um, Noah was uh, righteous before God. The Bible says that Noah was righteous before God. Noah had faith before God, and it saved his whole household. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Noah's faith saved his daughter-in-laws. It saved his son-in-laws, or his sons. It saved his wife. It saved his family. Noah's faith did. 
Look in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. And they brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto them the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. 1 Corinthians 7.14 For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. If you are the husband, you are the leader of a home, and you act according to the will of God, you sanctify your home and you save your children. You don't save them from everlasting punishment. That's a choice that they make. God does not have grandchildren. But you save your home by acting in a way that brings the blessings of God on your home by teaching your children and by doing the things that God's asked you to do. Unfortunately, there's a lot of men, a lot of wives that write in to the ministry up here and say, I was in pornography for 18 years, but it, I, I'd never touched my kids. It was just, and now my son's a queer. And I just, you know, I've repented of it. I'm, I just, I hate it. I shouldn't have done that. But it, of course, I didn't touch him. I didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, I don't even have any homosexual tendencies. It's just, you know, I was just addicted to this internet pornography. And, and but, you know, it's, it's too late, man. It's too late. You did not save your house. You did not act according to the righteousness of God. You did not do what you were supposed to do as a husband. And now your sons are paying for it. They're going to spend an eternity in hell because of your actions. Because God took his hands off of your family. Took his hands off of you. And maybe you'll make it into heaven. I don't know. But your son won't. Because he's turned his back on God. Because you didn't walk in righteousness. You didn't walk in faith. And you didn't save your house. There should be nothing more important to us as parents, especially as a father, than to deliver the household that should be delivered so that your children learn to walk in truth. Look through the book of Proverbs over and over again. If you teach your son and, and, and raise him according to God, when he's old, he won't depart. Um, there, there is a time when you are the stopgap of your home, when you are the, the, the one that, that sanctifies your home, that makes your children a holy thing. And there comes a time when those children leave that home and it's up to them to do it. And if you messed up, when you were in your 20s, when you were in your 30s, when your kids were little and you, and you lived in sin, but you do every, everybody else thinks you're great, but you lived in sin, you're going to turn around one day, your kids are going to be going to the devil, and, and you're going to go, my God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't, I repent now. I'm going to walk in holiness for the rest of your life. And someday you'll stand before the throne weeping and wailing and gnashing your teeth and crying out to God, because your sons will go to hell. Your daughters will go to hell because you didn't sanctify your home. It's your responsibility, men and women. It's your responsibility to walk in righteousness and sanctify your home. Um, all right. That was my uh, 
That was for free. I had to go off on that. Okay, I read it and it was there. Um, Since the Mosaic Law did not yet exist, why are some animals called unclean? This is from Michelle from the chat room. Okay, um, the reason that some of the animals are called unclean is because uh, God designated them so to Noah. We don't have record of it. It's not here yet, but I'm sure God said this is the ones that are and the ones that aren't. that's the only reference that I could find about clean and unclean animals, and so I assume that it's the same list. Anything to add to that? Only model? reference besides like in Leviticus, where it gives all the details. And then, of yeah. course, in, in uh, Acts with Peter. Right. But same, same, yeah. same animals. Okay. Uh, Greg, do you have anything to add to any of this so far? No. Um, that question reminds me of... Uh, uh, of another verse I'm looking for it so it'll be a minute alright um, now I am not making my way through all of this as fast as I'm supposed to which is a surprise I know because I always do so well figuring out where um, but here's what we're going to do I sent, uh, there's a PDF <clears throat> that has a timetable of when Noah got on the ark and what happened now if you look on your timetable you'll see that there was a time that says last day of grace. And I like that. There was a time for the nations of the world to repent. And then God shut the door. Time's over. You can repent all you want to, the door's shut. Rain's coming, you're going to drown. The time to repent was before that, last day of grace. And then we see the floods of the rain started. Next there is a, a... a time of rain, a flood, the water comes up, the fountains of the deep open, and uh, the world is uh, covered in water. We see that the animals come on, two of each clean, seven of each, uh, I mean, two of each unclean, seven of each clean, and uh, that the people come on, there's there's a good time frame there, and then uh, it rained, the water came up, We'll go down to chapter 8, verse 3. Are we skipping anything that you wanted to mention, Bob? Uh, no, go ahead. Um, go down to eight, chapter 8, verse 3. And the waters returned from off of the earth continually, and after the end of 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, on the mountain of Eret, and the water decreased continually until the tenth month in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. Now, uh, the water, I missed it back in, in 7, the water continued to come up until the ark floated. The water continued to come up until it had peaked the highest hills that were there at the time by 15 cubits. And that could be either 30 feet or, uh, or 24 feet, according to Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... The, uh, the whichever one it was, the whole earth went underwater. Everything died. Everything that breathed air had breath in its nostrils died. After 150 days of the water being up there, it started to come back down. It said God remembered Noah in chapter 8, verse 1, and he caused a wind to pass over. The fountains and the windows were stopped. The rain from heaven was restrained, and the water started to go back down. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened a window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven 
And it went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off of the earth. And also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. So uh, he, after, uh, after this 150 days, he sends forth a raven and a dove. <clears throat> and um, I hate going fast. Uh, <laughs> he sends forth a raven and a dove. And we, if we look around, we see that a raven is typically an evil spirit. And the dove is typically the Holy Spirit. Um, and we don't have time to explore that at all. But look into that if, you, if you're interested in it. Look into uh, what is a raven and a dove. And look at the different way they're used in the King James Bible. Um, so he sends forth one dove, and it comes back. He sends forth another, verse 9. It comes back with an olive branch in his mouth. He sends forth another a week later, uh, and it, comes, it doesn't come back at all. So this is three weeks, until he stayed yet seven days, and he sent forth a dove, which returned not again to him any more. And it came to pass that in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, and the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Now, I believe that was about a year and a month that they'd been on the boat, but I don't have the timeline in front of me. Um, but I've also heard it said, um, well, this dove returns with an olive branch, and if the whole world was destroyed, there wouldn't have been an olive branch, and... And, you know, there wouldn't have been grass for the sheep to eat when they got off the boat. And it just doesn't make any sense. And God created the world in seven days. If he can make the grass grow in one day with one word, I imagine he can do it in a year if he sees fit to do so. You know, I have a thought. Uh, I, was, I was studying this week, and Noah had faith to build an ark, despite of all the criticism, despite of all the world telling him, you know, it's not a good idea, this... Not gonna be rain. There's never been raindrops on this earth. What are you doing, Noah? To Noah, all that stuff. Okay, so he did that, and then next thing you know, he's in the ark. He's floating there for approximately a year, a year or so. I don't see an account. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Where God told him that Noah, you're gonna be in the ark for a year, and then you're gonna walk on dry dry ground after that. So it was a God never told Noah how long he's gonna be in that boat. My, Noah might have thought, well, here I am for. Ever? Maybe. He didn't know. That just even adds to how much Noah, how much faith he had, right? Because yeah. he had no idea. <laughs> just believed God. He just believed God. He's like, Lord, I'm on this boat for however long. And then at the right time, boat settled. He went out. And what they did with that um, manure, all those animals, an uh, email question came in was, Noah saved it in a certain part of the ark, and then later... The water settled. He planted a, a vineyard, and he used that to fertilize the vineyard. That's in my commentary. This bunch. <laughs> and uh, it sounds like a bunch of bull. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was. A really good bull. So I've heard. Um, you can tell we work together. Verse, uh, okay, Greg, before I go further, is there anything I skipped that you want to touch on? Nope. That was short and sweet. Um, okay. I, I have something. No. 
Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> you get a lot of uh, criticism on did the flood even happen? Okay, did the flood even happen? And a lot of people say, well, it was just a local flood that drowned out those specific people right there because they were so wicked with the, 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 the angels of God or the sons of God, and it was just local. Okay, well, we know it wasn't local because it said it covered all the face of the earth, okay? But how do you prove that the flood even happened? If somebody says, hey, so-and-so, what's this flood? How, how do you prove that? You say, well, the Bible says so. They say, well, the Bible is just a book, blah, 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 blah. How do you prove outside the Bible um, that the flood even happened? Well, he, here's one way. There was a book written in, I think it's 1909, by a guy named Sir William Dawson. And he gives an account. Uh, he traveled, traveled the whole world, and uh, he got accounts from seven different people groups. You have the Egyptian account, the Indian account, the Chinese account, the Greek account, the British account, the American Indians, uh, North, Central, and South America, and then you have the Babylonian account. And every single account has uh, a couple of things in common. They have, there was a boat filled with a few people, and the whole earth was destroyed, and all the other people in the world came from those few people that, that made it alive on the, on the boat or in the ark. And uh, there is a little bit of variances upon how the, long the boat floated or what kind of boat it was, but every one of those accounts is, is true. Now, it's not like an email was sent, you know, saying, I heard a story of this ark and it sent to the rest of the world and the whole world was influenced by, by one story. People groups that have never heard of each other back in, in the 1900s uh, have, all have the same account. So that's one way you can use when you continue for your faith in your day-to-day -day life is tell people about all these, these seven different people groups throughout the whole world that have accounts of Noah's flood. When I was uh, 17, I got the chance to go to Papua New Guinea with my sister. And uh, <clears throat> we went on top of a mountain. We flew about, uh, we flew to Port Moresby and there's no roads connecting that to the other part of the island because of the mountains and they're so poor. So we flew up over to Madang on the on the coast, and uh, it was a little town, um, one post office, two grocery stores, just a little town at the time. And we got on a little bush plane, they called it, uh, a little twin-engine island islander, and uh, a little British plane. And uh, we flew about 80 miles inland, and we landed on a grass strip that was going uphill pretty steep. It had chickens and pigs on it sometimes, and and uh, there's clouds would come in. It was, it was tough to get on this little grass strip. It's about a thousand feet long, and it was better than any roller coaster I've ever been on. We'd drop over one mountain and down in between and land on this little thing. And then from there, we'd get our packs and we hike over the mountain. It was about 15 miles or so over this mountain into a village called Ikram. And this, this little village, uh, there, were, there were places that I hiked out of this little village that uh, I would get to a... Uh, somebody's house and they go oh some so, so and so lives here he doesn't live close to the village and i go up and the guy comes out and his four wives come out and and they look at me and they go bakloy bakloy and it was it was they were calling me ripe like a banana it's the same word they use for when a banana gets ripe because i turned white and they were like yeah he's a white you know and uh they were scared of me and the wives they'd sit there like that you know and i'd, I'd go up to greet them all and and uh, i'd stick my hand out and she'd look at me 
and then scream and run around the house because I was just, I was gigantic for one. They're all pygmies and I'm, I was white and I was just a really scary guy. And uh, that's the type of, of people that were there. Well, a little church had started there. Like one, one of the guys had come out and gone to town and, and heard about God and repentance, about, about grace and faith and salvation. And so he had come back to the village and taught them. Well, a lot of them, their Bible that they had was in pigeon and they didn't understand it very well. Uh, they didn't have a big overview grasp. They'd been taught this doctrine and that doctrine down in town, but they didn't have a good grasp of the Bible. And um, some of them didn't speak pidgin. They just spoke talk place, their native language, kumboy. And uh, so they didn't have a good understanding. Well, I'm walking along with one of them that spoke a semblance of English one day. And, uh, and we're talking, and I see all these big sinkholes in the ground, big things. They were 10, 12 feet across and 6 feet deep, and I asked the, uh, the guy I'm walking with, I said, uh, what, are the, what are the holes from? I, I didn't know if maybe there's caves and it sinks down into them. And he goes, he goes, ah, oh, he said, we don't know. He said, but <laughs> he's like the village elders. He said, they have, they have superstitions that go way back, but we know they're wrong because we know the Bible. And I was like, oh, what are their superstitions? He said, oh, they, they, they believe a long time ago that the ground opened up and water came out and it flooded the whole world. And I was like, you you're kidding. And he's like, no, no, you know, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a language barrier. So uh, let me ask you again. The, the, the village elders say that the ground opened and water came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, they're, they don't know. They're, you know, they, they just, they have superstitions. And I'm going, uh, you know, that's in the Bible. No, it's, it's in the Bible. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tell him the story of Noah and how the, the ground opened up and, it, you know, and it came out and and I'm all excited, and I, I didn't have the Bible open, but because we're you know hiking down a trail in the jungle, but I tell him the story of Noah, and, and I'm all excited about telling him the story. And he's like, "Wow, man! That, oh yeah, yeah!" And the, and the village elders they knew that already, and uh, you know it, it, his whole attitude changes. And we go back and we go to their little church on Sunday, and he preached on Noah, and and he told the same story because I because he was speaking in talk place, but you Noah and Noah. And so uh, I, I could understand what they're saying, but it was, it, it was interesting to me to get to a place, and I describe it because there's no way, there's no way that these guys heard from somewhere else about the, the idea that the ground opened up and water came out, just like Bob was saying. So I, I've seen it firsthand. I've talked to the guys firsthand who have... Who have uh, no idea of the Bible. No idea of the Bible or anything or like that. Yep. Nothing, yeah. but, but they believed that the ground opened up a long time ago and water came out and flooded the whole earth. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Now I have even less time. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Um, let's go down to verse 20. I want to look at... Um, so Noah and all of his sons and his wives sons and everybody comes out of the boat and Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered a burnt offerings unto the Lord. Now, I don't see a record of God telling Noah to do this. Now, Noah knew that you offer a, a burnt offering to the Lord for your sin, but Noah wanted to be safe. God had just destroyed the entire globe with water because of sin. Noah gets off the boat, and he says, we're going to offer an all, a, a sacrifice, a burnt offering. I'm not sure which one, so we're going to offer all of them. So they, it's like an offering of uh, thankfulness. A thankfulness? It's a, 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 a sin offering, an offering of sanctification is what it really is. 
He's sanctifying the world. If we look in, uh, in, uh, through Leviticus, we see how they uh, offered multiple offerings to sanctify the altar, to the priest garments, the robes, the room, the people, in order to get to the place to where they could offer a blood offering. Right. But there's also uh, offers of uh, wave offerings, yep. thankfulness offerings. Like, thank you, Lord, for getting me off that boat. Thank you, thank you. Here, whack. And, but... Consider this. This is a bloody affair, okay? He's just carted these animals around for uh, a year. And he's fed them. He scooped the poop. He has uh, cleaned the boat. He's probably named most of the animals at this point. He gets off the boat. Japheth, bring George. He's one of the clean animals, you know? He's a friend. Bring George over here. So they bring him over there tie him up, lay him down, cut his throat, cut his stomach open, spread him out, lay him on there, burn him. Bring Fred. The next one. Every clean animal. They, they killed one of each. This might have taken three weeks. It takes a long time and a lot of wood to burn one animal. It take, try, try it sometime. You can take a squirrel and throw it in the fire. I've done it. And it'll burn. You can keep it on a good campfire for hours and hours, and it's still there. A burnt offering takes time and heat and energy. A lot of now, consider this. Noah has been on the boat for a year with all of these animals. He gets off the boat. What do you do? Well, you build a house, right? You build uh, something to live in. You till the ground. You plant a garden. You 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 prepare. You you're you're a survivalist. What do you do? You take the first week, you and your sons carry big rocks and you stack them. For the next two weeks, you cut down all the new trees that just grow up. Well, that's not very good global warming. He not have used the material of the ark. Where would he kept the animals? Maybe he chopped the ark up. Maybe he chopped the ark up. At any rate, he's chopping up wood from somewhere. He's, He's chopping the wood. He's carrying it. He's piling it. Take an animal, kill it. This may have taken... Weeks, months to get these animals killed and burned. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make good fiscal sense to do this. And it says, So he built an altar, and he offered every bird and every clean and beast and bird, and he offered them unto the Lord. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither again will I smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Now, I have been around the world with a lot of people that are really excited about global warming, about conservationists, about about the end coming, about uh, the, what was the thing with the Mayans, that the night was, the day was going to stop happening in some parts of the northern part of the world. It's going to be night all the time. Uh, I'm not that worried about it, because a long time ago, a man got off the boat and spent the first three months burning animals, and it was a sweet sacrifice before the Lord, and the Lord said, I'm not going to do that anymore. From now on, from, for, for, until, this, until I'm ready, I'm done with this planet, with this globe, from now on out, Day and night, summer and winter, moon time and harvest, I'm not going to destroy the world again. It's going to keep on rolling just like I designed it. That's a pretty good promise. What Noah did 
before God, which made no physical sense at the time that he did it, has rewards to us today. God has not destroyed us as a nation, as a, as a world, as a globe, as the earth, because of this thing that Noah had done. And so uh, when, when it comes time to uh, give the fatted calf, to give the best unto God, uh, remember that uh, you might reap the benefits of giving to God of your time, of your labor, of your money, of your vehicles, of whatever, of your cattle um, for years and years to come. And uh, I've seen God use that stuff over and over again. The uh, Bob's brother, <clears throat> one time, they were in a, a camp and uh, witnessing, teaching, preaching, and uh, they uh, needed to print something. They need, or they needed to feed some some of the church members to try to to just get enough money to keep going and. And they couldn't, and some of the nationals came excited to TJ and said, Hey, man, uh, guess what? Um, we found this verse. This is really cool. It says that uh, God will provide all our needs according to his riches and glory. And over here it says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We're just going to pray, and God will provide for us. And he's like, oh, you know, these are new Christians. They're new con. Uh, okay. He's like, all right, let's do that. Let's, let's pray. So they, they pray, and he's uh, kind of, you know, praise but he his his heart is i don't want to i don't want to kind of smother this flame you know but okay we'll pray so they pray and then the next within the next couple of days somebody calls up and says uh you know we were taking our cattle to the feed lot to the to the pen and and we decided to uh to sell a couple of the cattle and give the proceeds to you guys over there for that specific ministry so the time that they're praying God has some cattle on, a, on one of his thousand hills that one of his guys owned, and, and he used it to increase these guys' faith, to give these guys, these new brethren, to give them something. So uh, I, I, I've seen too many times things like that where somebody gives something, their time, their, their energy, their money, their cows, and uh, God uses it to really spark something with these guys, these, these new Christians. And uh, it was an encouragement to TJ, too, and to me when he told me. Um, all right. Hey, Nathan, did you ever notice the significance in the six different seasons right here? No. Okay, in, ver- in 8, 22, it says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter. This is day and night. There's six seasons. And I've always, I've thought about that so many times, and it's just a point to ponder. I'm going to keep on pondering it until I get it figured out. <laughs> um, all right. Now, if it was pre-flood, it might make sense in that the climate was different and stuff back then. But if this is post-flood, and there's six seasons right there. Um, okay, we usually, at this, at this stage, take a 10-minute break. Um, so that we can, we can study stuff, but, um, I think tonight I want to skip it. The, uh, we, we usually take a 10 minute break in order to, uh, 
what we do is we're trying to get people to get into the Word as, as we go. Um, and we usually take a five-minute break, but because of the volume of material I'm going to cover tonight, because of the fact that we're wrapping this up tonight and we're going to get into the book of John next week, um, which we're really excited about, um, I'm, I'm going to just skip it and keep right on rolling. Now, uh, I want to give a chance for people to be able to Skype in or call in or write in. Um, and if you, usually right after the break, uh, we give you a chance to do that. I want you to go ahead and do that tonight. If you, if we've said something, sparked something, you want to talk about it, uh, Skype us or email us at info at contendforyourfaith.com, and, uh, we will, uh, we will talk about that here tonight. Now, um... I'm going to uh, probably, let's go ahead and read through the, the rainbow being set and the covenant being established. Now every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Now, I don't get excited about PETA either. Yeah. What right do you have to keep a chicken in a pen? Do you want me to show you? Because uh, I, I can. I, I can show you right here because everything is given to me to eat. Now, I don't think that people should be cruel to animals by any stretch of the imagination, but killing them and eating them is not cruel to them. It's something that is ordained by God, and I will gladly partake of. Um, but the flesh... Uh, with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful, and multiply, and bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. We have a, a uh, commandment, a most urgent um, duty from God to protect the blood of other men. We have a God-ordained duty to stop violent crime when we can. Um, not only that, we have the right by given by God to uh, protect other men's lives at the expense of the perpetrator of someone taking someone else's lives, someone else's life. Uh, later on, we're given a, a uh, structure to put that in. And at this point, it is in a stable government, it is the job of the government to do that. But there is an over, overriding uh, concept that blood of men is precious. It should not be spilt. When it is spilt, there should be recompense for it. Somebody should be called on the carpet for shedding innocent blood or for shedding blood. Uh, okay, verse 8. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, I and I beheld, I established, established my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, and the fowl, and of the fowl of the cattle of every beast of the earth with you, and from all 
that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by waters of a flood, neither shall there be neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Do I set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass, and when I bring a cloud over the earth, and the bow shall be seen in the cloud, that I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Now how's that token broken? It is not. Unless God breaks his word, the token or the covenant that God has made here will not be broken. So uh, for everlasting here on out, the world will never again be destroyed by water. And then, um, and then it goes on to talk about Noah and his sons, and eventually Noah, at the ripe old age of 950 years, died. All right, that's going to conclude our study of Genesis. Greg or Bob, do you have anything you want to add to this? Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Greg. Go, Greg. I wanted to. Um, I just wanted to go over a few verses um, in Genesis chapter three, verse twenty. God says, uh, "And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living." And then, to verse twenty-one: "Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them." After Adam and Eve sinned, God took animals. He ripped off the skin off of those animals, and he clothed Adam and Eve with that skin. And the next chapter, we see Abel. He brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof unto the Lord. He brought an animal sacrifice unto the Lord, and he offered it unto God, unto God and God accepted that animal sacrifice as a sweet savor. And so twice now, after somebody sins, when death is what God requires for that sin— we see animal sacrifice taking place, and we see God accepting that animal sacrifice. And so when we get to Genesis, when we, when we, when we get to, the, to Noah coming off of the ark, and he takes these clean animals and he offers these bloody animal sacrifices unto God, and God once again says, I accept that, and that's a sweet savor unto me. Um, this is, this is a powerful uh, thread that we see from the very beginning when man first sinned that an animal sacrifice takes place where blood is involved. And we see it consistently now when, when major events are happening, when sin is taking place and man is offering a sacrifice unto the Lord to cover over his sin and God's accepting that offering. And we're going to see that throughout the entire Old Testament. The same consistent uh, animal sacrifices where blood is involved, being made unto the Lord, and God is accepting it consistently. And that leads us all the way up to the New Testament, where the most 
amazing ultimate blood sacrifice takes place. A blood sacrifice that is going to has the power to cover over all sin that has ever been done. And uh, it's just, it's really exciting. This is just so exciting to, to see um, God's heart <laughs> when, when he allows man to offer these sacrifices and he accepts it and, and, he, and he accepts it gladly and in order for him to be able to cover over man's sin. That's a, a good thread to follow uh, from the, uh, the very beginning all the way up. Um, okay, did we have anybody call in, Jarrett? Any questions to go over? I see, I wonder if Noah was around to see Abraham's wedding. Um, I don't think so, but I haven't followed that. I haven't followed that genealogy to see when that took place. Um, all right, now I want to go over a little bit of the reason that we're doing this and the uh, some of the changes that we're going to be making next week. And the reason I want to I want to do this right here at the tail end of the Bible study is I would like to have your input. I I covet your input on this. We want to make this uh, a a a thing that is used by God to reach you and to reach others. We want it to be a uh, a Bible study that has far-reaching impact. Now, um, that doesn't mean that we want it to make it so palatable that uh, all of the, I don't know if I can say names or not, uh, megachurch people... Um, can can enjoy it and say yeah that's all love and good I mean we we've got to keep some truth um, but uh, I do want it to be something that is uh, that is far reaching and something that that you can uh, enjoy that you can uh, be involved in now I am excited about Genesis as a student of the Bible. Um, I find nothing more fascinating than digging the nuggets out of the book of Genesis. However, uh, my brother saw something about people mining gold, and he's like, man, that would be so exciting to, to sell everything and to just go into Alaska and, and dig in the ground and, and get bits of gold and, and you know, I, and just to see if you could make a million dollars from digging gold. And I was like... That sounds horrible. I mean, that's just, that's not something I'd do at all. Uh, there's no guaranteed payday for doing it. And it's living in a tent with mosquitoes, which, hey, I like living in tents, but not when I'm working every day and I can't come home and see my wife and kids and run around and play and go fishing in the summertime. And uh, that sounds absolutely miserable to me. So uh, different things rock everybody's boat differently. I mean, I, I love the book of Genesis, but I am not feeling it reciprocated. Um, so what I want to do is go to the book of John. Now, here's, here's what we've been doing. We have been going with a systematic verse-by-verse teaching through the Word of God. We take one verse, and we go over it and go over it and look at each word inside of that verse. What does that verse mean? And we talk about it, me and Greg and Bob and and I work with Bob, so during the week, Monday morning, we tear into each other, right? What about this verse, and what about that? You know, and, and, and there's this great uh, 
exchange all week because this kind of stuff is is fun to us. It's exciting. It's not something that is a a, a drag. Uh, it is uh, fascinating to me to find out some little detail of something to follow a a path through the Word of God. However, it's not not everybody is as passionate about this as I am. Not everybody enjoys the same things that that I enjoy. Um, so what I'd like you to do is is consider what is the what is the balance here? What is the right thing? Now the other the other ways that we teach at times is we do what we call uh, um, application teaching, and that is we take a verse out of one one chapter. Say I, I pull a verse out. Uh, Mentioned yesterday something in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter eight, verse ten, the latter half. It says, uh, "And the joy of the Lord is your strength." Now we can go up to the book of Psalms. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect concerning the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Well, all right, now let's go up into the New Testament. Let's look in the in the Gospels. Let's look over here at this this chapter, and we follow the trail of this. It, the joy of the Lord being your strength, we can follow it through and we can do an application teaching. Make this joy the center of your life. Let it be uh, a well that springs up of living water and we, can, and we can teach that. Well, what is Nehemiah talking about? Nehemiah is actually talking about the Bible. They, they read the Bible and they were all weeping because they read the law of God and they had broken it. And uh, Nehemiah goes, hey guys, stop. Do not weep. This is exciting. This is the word of God. You go out and eat good food that you have, and give to people that don't have. And, okay, that's the way I would typically teach something, is not the application, but this is what's happening, this is what was taking place. And so I would teach the uh, systematic slowly through each passage. Now, the other way of teaching is a story. And Greg just did just a second of that, tying together all of these stories and saying, this took place, then this took place, then this took place, and, and this is the story and this is what we learn from that story. And uh, that is a uh, where we can skip over. That's kind of what we've done tonight. We've looked at the story of Noah. And I've pulled out some application out of the passages because I'm in a big hurry. It drives me crazy to do this because I, I miss so many things. And it's just, it's I'm, I'm pulling teeth here because I, I look down and I'm going, I, I want to, no, I don't have time. I want to, no, I don't have time. But... Uh, I think maybe this is going to be something that's that is uh, more exciting, more palatable to uh, the people listening. Now, I would love to get your feedback. I like teaching, and I like having people to talk to. I can see people's face when they understand. I can see your face when you're bored. I can see when you're falling asleep. I, I can see when, when you get it. When I'm talking, you go, ah, I get it. Um, and I can adjust what I'm saying. <laughs> Everybody's laughing because somebody fell asleep while I was talking. Uh, I won't name any names. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I can see when I'm being boring. Uh, I cannot see through this camera. 
and, and see what's happening on the other side. I depend on your emails to let us know what we can do to make this better. Um, please, please write us and say, and I don't want to just, everything's wonderful, or not just, uh, you guys are stink, I'm going, we want to improve. Say, you know what, um, you should shut up more and let Greg talk, because he's better looking and smarter than you are. Um, Greg, you're fired. Um, <laughs> but, but give us stuff like that. Say you talk too much, man. Let, let Bob or let Greg get involved. Uh, you really need another girl up there because you guys are kind of long-winded. Um, there's too much of this. There's too much of that. You need to go back to the simple things. You need to move along. You're taking too much time talking about this or that, just give us some feedback, some emails. Send it to me at Nathan at Contend for Your Faith. Or uh, if you have something technical saying, hey, you know what, I wanted to write this in, but I, could, I didn't feel comfortable with that. I wanted to email uh, this, or I wanted to get on and chat with you uh, on Skype with that. If you have stuff like that that you think we could do to make this better, um, wider can uh, uh, views or something like that, you can email that to Jarrett at info at contendforyourfaith.com and, uh, and let us know. Let us know what we can do that would be, uh, would be advantageous to you. Now, also, we're going to get into the book of John next. The book of John is uh, it's really the heart of the ministry of Christ. It is the, it's the soul of it. It is... Uh, you 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 push aside all of the all of the distractions and you get right down into this was the ministry that that Jesus came to pursue this is how he pursued it this is this is his heart this is who he loved uh and it is uh it's a book of passion it's so much passion in the book of John um i uh i i got, I got to listen to it through this week um just read while I was working and I was just, I was titillated when I was, I, I was just varnishing things and I'd start going too fast because I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, it's funny and oh man, that's just heavy and oh, that's wonderful. So uh, I, I, I expect us to enjoy the book of John. I, I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy it. And, uh, but then as we, as we get through the book of John, we're going to, uh, be getting into something else. Let me know what you think about the way we're doing it, what we're doing, what we could get into. We could, instead of going through a book next, address specific questions. I shy away from that because we can chase our tails doing that. In other words, the doctrine on, uh, on the um, emergent church saying that uh, you, the, the gates of heaven are always open and at any time you can repent towards God and go to heaven is they get it out of Peter, where where, Pete, where Christ goes down and talks to the uh, to the uh, Old Testament saints, and then brings them forth. And uh, well, we could chase that doctrine and some of the other things that they mess up. Uh, and if that's what's interesting to you, maybe that's what we need to do. Um, but uh, the problem is that there's so many false doctrines out there that instead of chasing what's wrong. I like to just go back and say, let's learn what's right so well that uh, there's no question. Uh, I have been told when they're teaching people to look for counterfeit money, they don't give them a handful of counterfeit bills and say, see, this is wrong and this is wrong. 
they give them a one proper bill and say, study it. If you know this one, you'll know all the counterfeit because you know it's right. That's my attitude with the Word of God. If you know the Word of God, the words of all these uh, Bible correctors are, are going to be water off a duck's back. It's, it's not going to stick because you know the Word of God. You know what you believe, and you're ready to stand up and contend for your faith. So you don't have to uh, concern yourself with every, as it says, wind of doctrine. Um, so, uh, let, but let me know. Let me know what you think. Um, email us and, uh, and, and be as specific as you feel like, as you can. Uh, and uh, you certainly won't offend me. I am tickled to get emails. Um, and if it's just off the wall and obnoxious, then we'll laugh about it and enjoy it uh, at your expense. So uh, don't be uh, don't be shy about it. Uh, anyway, that's what that's where we're going next week, and uh, I am excited to get there, and I am uh, excited for you to come with us. Uh, somebody in the chat room said, "I was always taught that Noah was in the ark for forty days and forty nights. How long was Noah in the ark?" Um, read Genesis chapter 7 and 8 and see how long he was in the ark. Uh, I, I sent a, PD, a PDF file uh, with this. If you download it, there is a, an actual chart that shows the days that it rained, the days the water was on the earth, the water was abating. But it, I think he was actually on the ark about 13 months. Is that right, Bob? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he was actually on the ark about 13 months. The 40 days is how long it rained for. They were, they were loading the ark for a week, and then uh, the fountains of the deep opened, and for 40 days and nights it rained. And then uh, after that, there was some uh, 150 days that the water stayed there, and then it started to come down, and it came down for a long time, and then uh, they stayed in the ark again waiting for it to dry up. So, uh, but yeah, go ahead, and, go ahead and read that and look at that PDF. Um, I see I'm out of time. Anything else, Bob or Greg, you want to add? No, next week I'll share next week I'll share the uh the story of the guy who spoke at the um prayer breakfast who said that Jesus was the only way. It was one of the most powerful stories, uh, uh salvation stories I've heard in, in a long, long time. And so while there is many out there who who are who are telling people the things they want to hear instead of what scripture says there's also those who who are being saved by the power of of the cross amen all right that's good i'll look forward to that anything else jared nothing, nothing. nothing else all right thank you for joining us tonight i hope you have enjoyed the book of genesis the uh the word of god is powerful the word of god is uh is true it is uh complete and it, uh, it changes you to be involved in, to be reading the Word of God. Um, so don't let this be the end of your study this week. Go back and read these that we went through so fast. Look at some of those uh, notes that I sent and uh, try to follow that through. S check and see how long uh, Abraham was uh, after Noah and if Noah was still alive. Get, get into the Word of God and enjoy it. Get ahead of us in John and... Uh, and enjoy what your Savior has given you. Enjoy this, this scripture. Now, between, between now and then, 
if somebody has something about the emergent church or something else, uh, remember that as a saint, it is, it is always your job to contend for your faith. So until, until next week, just remember to contend for your faith.